It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. There's lots of security news, including a Linux exploit you're going to want to know about. And then we'll get into the Sony hack. My goodness, the detail. We still don't know who did it or why, but Steve has some thoughts coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and if you'd like to help us design our new website, I invite you to visit twit.to slash navtest. We've got eight quick questions we'd like to ask you that will help us make the navigation easier to use. That's twit.to slash navtest. Thanks a lot. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 485, recorded December 9th, 2014. Expensive lessons at Sony. Security Now is brought to you by Jack Irwin. Jack Irwin sells men's shoes made from the finest materials at honest prices, and they ship them right to your door. Check out their shoe collections at jackirwin.com slash twit. That's jackirwin.com slash twit. And by IT Pro TV. A good IT pro is always learning, and IT Pro TV is the resource to keep your skills and knowledge up to date. IT Pro TV offers engaging courses streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For a free seven day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN30. And by ProXPN. ProXPN is a virtual private network that allows you to use the Internet the way it should be, anonymously and without oversight. Save 50% off with a 12-month subscription. Go to ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN50 at checkout. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers your security. Now, what? Huh? And uh, good name, eh? And, uh, or Steve, soon. <laughs> or soon. In this case, we're going to look back a little bit, but Steve Gibson is here. He is our... Explainer in chief, the man at GRC.com, creator of the world's first uh, anti-spyware tool, and in fact, the creator, the, the kind of discoverer of spyware in many respects. He's also the author of Spinrite. Hi, Steve. Hey, Leo. Great to be with you. I had promised our listeners we were going to do a deep dive episode, but I've seen so much email and Twitter traffic from people saying, "How are you not talking about Sony?" Yeah. That I, I, you know, like. We can't not talk about Sony, and when you and I want to do more than just say, "Oh, it was bad," because that sort of misses the depth of the badness. How bad it was! <laughs> oh my lord! I I have, and I want to share. Just I want to scan through the analysis of the files which have been released to date, which themselves is a small piece of the total. 12 plus terabytes of data. And this is a situation where the guys who took it are having problems finding the diamonds in the rough because there's just too much. And so they've done things like, and and the press has been confused because the press, you know, well, they're the press, uh, you know, and we're about technology. So it's clear from what we're seeing that they've done things like scanned for the word password in the file names and then pulled all of the files 
from all of the employee workstations that had the word password in them and aggregated them and Actually, released them. I do think that that was done by the bad guys. So um, that's what I said. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The bad guys put out a paste bin that they gave to the press, not to the public, but gave to the press, and they right. highlighted. Like they put in a folder <laughs> all the stuff they thought was really egregious. Right. And so, so the problem is, you know, it's like they're being flooded with the wealth of what they have. And so they've, every few days they've been releasing another, you know, 20 gigs or so. I mean, it, it varies depending upon what. But so, so I want to talk about that. But then, of course, we have to talk about Sony's background and what could be done to prevent this. And there are some other little techie nuggets that, that have come out that I think are like just whimsical and hard to believe about this. Um, but the episode is titled, oh, anyway, so the point is, we, as, as we do, we'll, we, I, I want to cover the issue of Tor not being nearly anonymous as we had hoped and as many people wished it was. Uh, there was a very nice academic paper that came out that explained Actually, what a poor job it does. If, any, if anyone really applies their intention, it can be largely de-anonymized. And, of course, we know that there are entities now <laughs> out on the, on the Internet with lots of funding that have, if, like, certainly have intention to de-anonymize people on the Internet. So we will get to that when the news allows us to. But I titled this podcast... Um, expensive lessons because I want to talk about two things in our main, you know, after we cover the more newsy stuff. And that is also some news that has arisen about uh, Target, which where it was like one year ago that they suffered that, what is it, 40 million of their customers' credit cards escaped yeah. and 110 million email addresses and yeah. other personal information. Uh, and of course, we've got our, our regular news. So, uh, you know, of stuff that happened during the week. So we're going to talk about uh, uh, Poodle, which is an attack, of course, we recently discussed, which turns out is biting us yet again. That was the one that caused us to run away from SSL version 3. Turns out that switching that off doesn't completely solve the problem. It can still affect some implementations of TLS. Uh, there is something we've discovered, an advanced persistent threat uh, backdoor on Linux, for the first time, which or or prominently uh, for the first time, uh, Judge Posner, who we've talked about through the years, who's a pretty well respect, respected U.S. District, uh, I think he's Seventh uh, Circuit Court judge, yeah, yeah. said some scary things, and Cory Doctorow was just wonderful <laughs> in response. Uh, and we have some miscellaneous stuff, and then we'll get into talking about Target and Sony. I want to say Posner was the judge in the Microsoft case, wasn't he? I, it's, for some reason, his name, his is, name so, is so familiar. For so familiar, yeah. yeah. I, but I can't, I can't place it. But yeah. Hey, can I talk about my shoes? Oh, please. <laughs> as long as, as long as you don't take them off, just please keep them on. We have a lot to do. We're gonna, I'll do this quickly. But Jack Irwin uh, is uh, one of our fine sponsors. They make amazingly beautiful shoes. Now I know you probably wear tennis runners all the time, Steve. And they're laced so loosely yeah. that I need, I don't need to unlace them. I slip you're, out of you're them. You're more about comfort, aren't you? Oh, I am all about comfort. <laughs> but there as comes you once a... said, as you once said when I stood up, you said, you're not wearing any pants. Yeah, well, you were. And I said, okay, well. They yeah, were short yeah, pants. Need, they were short. Yeah. 
Very. <laughs> but there comes a time in every man's life when he must, I don't know, impress, go to a bank to get a loan or a funeral or a wedding or perhaps just a, a date and having a nice pair of shoes. I think you, you, ask, you ask any gal, they'll tell you that they look at the shoes and if they see these beat up, scuffed up, Tenny runners, you're not going to impress. This is why you have to at least have one or two really nice pairs of shoes. Unfortunately, you're going to get a little sticker shock. You go to the big uh, retailers. Uh, we're talking $800,000, $900,000 for a nice pair of shoes. That's why I tell you to go to Jack Irwin. JackIrwin.com slash twit. These are beautiful shoes. Handmade shoes out of the finest leather from Italy and France. They, the cobblers are, uh, are craftsmen from Spain. They make It's hand-stitched leather soles. Very comfortable. In fact, all Jack Irwin shoes are a size large. So when you order, consider that when you're ordering. If you're a 10, for instance, you might want to, uh, you might want to uh, purchase a size 9 because uh, it's going to be big. And of course, shipping is free. Return is very easy and free. So what I would suggest you do is go right now to jackirwin.com slash twit. Pick out some models. These are these gorgeous loafers. This is my favorite, though. I'm a kind of more conservative kind of guy. I like the, uh, I like the more um, classic shoes. Look at these. These are just gorgeous wingtips. Um, I, I, could, I could see wearing these almost anywhere. JackIrwin.com. Now, the styles change rapidly, so if you see a pair you like, uh, order them, uh, because uh, they may not be there the next time you visit the site. They move through these fairly quickly. They're very popular. And the price is amazing, about a third to a quarter that of what you'd pay in the big retail stores. We're talking, I think, $195 for the pair for these loafers. Um, really gorgeous shoes. I've been wearing Jack Irwin's now for the last couple of months and been very happy. They're very sharp, and I get some compliments, which is nice. Jack Irwin, remember the holiday parties are coming? You're going to want to look nice for the new year? Who was it? I was reading an article about an entrepreneur who, who was uh, going to go out and look for venture money. I can't remember what the company was. And his wife said, you're not wearing those shoes, are you? <laughs> and he said, what do, what do you mean? I, I like my, I like my uh, tenny runners. She said, he said, they're the only shoes I find comfortable. She said, you cannot wear those. You will not be treated, uh, uh, you know, credibly if you go out in those shoes to a venture capitalist. So, folks, if you're starting your startup, you're getting ready, go to jackerwin.com slash twit. Look sharp with a pair of Jack Irwins. Jackerwin.com slash Twit. We are very fond of our Jack Irwins, I must say. And maybe we'll get someday. We're slowly working on Steve. We've got him shaving now. <laughs> Next thing we're going to do is get him some a nice pair of shoes. That's right. <laughs> so um, it turns out that uh, the poodle attack is not completely mitigated, as we had hoped, by the frantic disabling of SSL version 3. Just to remind our listeners, because we cover so much territory on this because there's so much going on, the problem, the, 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 the poodle attack was, uh, as, was a result of the fact that, that the SSL standard defined the two operations which must be performed, that is, authenticating the data and encrypting the data backwards. In SSL... They authenticate first and then encrypt, which means that when you when you are undoing that, when you're wanting to turn the contact the the information back into plain text, 
you reverse that process. You decrypt first, then you authenticate. Had it been done in the proper direction, the proper sequence, the first thing you would do is authenticate. And if you were trying to play any games, that would fail and it would just be over. There, this whole exploit would never have happened. But because you're decrypting first and because... Um, it, it, and what, what Poodle uses is block ciphers. Unfortunately, the stream ciphers like RC4 have been pretty much discredited. No one thinks they're sufficiently secure. A stream cipher meaning that you are able to encrypt individual bits at a time. In a block cipher, because the, the underlying crypto system itself takes a block of some number of bits, typically 128, so that's 16 bytes. It takes 16 bytes at a time and under the influence of a key can translates that entire set of 128 bits to a different 128 bits. Well, that means that you always have to give it multiples of 128 bits or 16 bytes. But if the data you're wanting to encrypt doesn't fall on an exact even multiple, then you have to come up with some way to pad that data out to an even multiple in order to encrypt it. So therein lies the problem, is that SSL never specified what the padding had to be. It just said pad it because the, the argument was, well, it doesn't matter because it's just superfluous anyway. Um, so do whatever you want to. And, and some various schemes were, were created for, for creating the padding. Well, it's that, that, that laxness in the specification that some clever uh, researchers figured out how to exploit. So this wasn't happening in the wild, it was, but it was discovered and, and went public that it was possible, meaning that people then could do it. And the attack would be the, you'd get some code in your browser that would make something like 4,096 queries, and that would give you a byte of header data, which it, it's still a lot, of, a lot of work to do, but it's feasible. So... As, as our listeners will remember, we scrambled around throughout the industry and um, and removed SSL3. Uh, this latest update of Firefox that we described and we discussed last week, I think it's version 34, completely removes SSL. Uh, Chrome is on is has deprecated it and is no, uh, a version or two from now. They've said they're going to remove it. So people are turning it off all over the place. What just came out is that as many as 10% of the Internet sites tending to be the major ones, for a reason I'll explain in a second, have remained vulnerable. And the reason is that there are still, even when you turn off SSL version 3, that means you're always going to be requiring TLS um, version 1011 or 12, which is the, the three versions of TLS we have so far. Um, there are, uh, oh, and that, the TLS does rigidly specify what the padding data must be. It turns out that probably due to the history, that is, TLS was probably the code actually used to implement an implementation of to create an implementation of TLS 
was inherited from SSL because it's almost the same. It's just, you know, additions and tweaks here and there and, and version numbers in the header and so forth. It turns out that many instances of TLS do not check for the adherence to the specification of TLS that specifies exactly what the padding mites must be. The, the, the fact that they can no longer be played with by a hacker neuters the, the ability for Poodle to work. Unless the, 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 the stack that you're trying to probe doesn't check um, on the server side. It turns out that right now, today, 10% of the Internet's sites don't check. And the, they, are, they tend to be the larger ones because they are those sites which are behind sort of big iron load balancers which themselves terminate the SSL or TLS connections. So there, there's a company called F5 that makes one of the more popular um, front ends. So the idea being that behind this box are a whole bunch of servers. And this, this is the first box you come to when your fiber optic comes off the backbone um, through a, a router to this thing. So it's all your traffic. But it actually has your uh, SSL certificate or TLS certificate, you know, your, your website uh, security certificate. And it's got SSL, TLS um, security acceleration hardware in, you know, good random number generators. It's, it's like everything it's, it should have except its code, its TLS code didn't get changed when we rifled through the whole industry. It may have had SSL3 disabled in it, but it turns out that because it's an appliance, it's it didn't get the same OS updates as everybody else. And I don't mean to pick on F5. There's also one called A10, which is a different manufacturer and company. Same problem. Neither of them are are checking uh, when when they receive incoming traffic for uh, under the TLS protocol for the the padding adhering to the TLS specification, so Poodle still works against them. The companies have been notified. F5 already has an update, which I'm sure they're pushing out to their customers quickly. So anyway, that's uh, uh, it, it hit the news because it just came out. Um, I see, uh, in fact, uh, Adam Langley blogged about it uh, 12.8, which is yesterday. So um, that's just happened. Again, probably not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It, the, the instances where this is a problem are being found, and it looks like it's a few major instances where they're not OS-based TLS stacks, but rather um, turnkey hardware uh, front-end stuff. The other piece of interesting news is uh, the, it's called Turla, T-U-R-L-A, I, I couldn't ever find where the name came from. Everyone just sort of started using it. Um, it is an advanced persistent threat in an APT uh, targeting Linux and an, an interesting backdoor technology that I'll get to in a second. Um, it turns out that it's part of another state-sponsored um, major espionage malware suite uh, but it doesn't look like it's our state this time. It looks like it's Russia. Um, we know that the programmers 
work nine to five hours. Well, sort of, and that's from timestamps in the various modules of code that have been found. Nothing seems to happen on the weekends. They're home playing with the kids, um, and that it's uh, they seem to be in uh, UTC plus four is the, the the time zone that they're in. Um, instances of okay, I've I've jumped over the part where I should say that. It is at least six years old. Pieces of it, pieces of the Windows version, because this has always up until now been a Windows only malware. Um, so the presumption is a Linux backdoor module was added to extend its breadth as a, you know, as an add on to this uh, advanced persistent threat that's been around for at least six years. Um it was being called uh, Kaspersky and Semantic have had it on their radar for a while, and it was being called uh, Euroboros, Ouroboros, Ouroboros. Ouroboros is the snake that eats its own tail. Yes, and in fact, also known as the snake, and people who can't pronounce strange <laughs> words, it's a strange prefer, word. <laughs> prefer calling it snake. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it this thing has been Windows 16 and 32 bit. I'm sorry, 32 and 64 bits only. Um, it was spotted 32 times in the Ukraine since 2010, 11 times in Lithuania, 11 or four times in the UK, and then a handful of times in the US, Belgium, Georgia, Romania, Hungary, and Italy. So. Sort of more of a Western and Western-aligned feel um, than than you know, for example, the the other um, major state-sponsored uh, discoveries that we've been talking about, which seem more like they're from us aimed in the other direction. This stuff sort of looks like it's coming at us. Well, you saw that uh, not only the Russians but the Koreans have this elite core. Of military yeah. and the North Koreans, military a hackers. huge number, wasn't it? Like fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred oh. in the section one twenty one group, and they're well, you know, they're well maintained, trained from youth. So every, I would bet every state has at least some elite well, core you know, hackers. When we look at what this stuff can do, you know, I mean, we did the, we, we did a full coverage of it two weeks ago. Um, it is. Frightening. I mean, it's like it's it's no longer science fiction. Although, I mean, it, it it feels like we're talking about science fiction. But what we're talking about is, as we have said, and of course we'll be talking about this when we discuss Sony here in a minute. Um, security is alarmingly porous, and the more pressure you put on the on the attack surface, the the more opportunity you can find to get in. Um, in this case, the Windows components, which have traditionally been used, um, have used a, a, a several known zero-day exploits to get in. They've also attempted to get in using long-since patched exploits for Windows. But also, um, they've uh, uh, this system sets up a a very ex uh, a, an extreme array of um, uh, watering hole attacks. So they set up fake websites where they have, for example, uh, videos that they lure their targets to 
uh, through phishing mail that say, oh, you don't have the latest version of Flash. Click here to update your version of Flash. And, of course, what you're actually doing is downloading the malware into your machine. So these are highly, you know, very much like the the state-sponsored attacks. They are, this thing is meant to be super stealth, to stay under the radar for a long period of time and, and to, to be, you know, aimed at specific targets in order to get into their networks. So what happened is just in the last couple of days, a couple samples of some Linux code were posted to the the uh, the malware testing sites, and that tripped some of the alarms of the companies that have been monitoring this stuff for a while. Um, what was found was a new Linux offshoot of this. So, tr- so for six years, it's been Windows only. Now, this is based on. Um, and, and 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 this is what this this Turla name T U R L A uh, is referring to, based on um, actually a 14 year old um, open source Linux malware C D O O R, um, which uh, was then extended and modified. But but the in, in looking closely at it, they've seen pieces that are very familiar and old. So this stuff has been reused and recycled. It is big because it is static. It's compiled from C and C++. It's an ELF executable with the symbols stripped from it uh, to make it a little less easy to reverse engineer. But whereas most code is, it's called dynamically linked, you know, famously Windows is DLLs, dynamically linked libraries. The idea being that you're, you can assume a bunch of things that you need will be present on the system where you're running. And if not, you can tell the person running the system, you know, please update your, your GNU C library, or we need to have open SSL or live PCAP installed. Well, in this case, this thing needs those modules, but it can't ask the, the victim to install them. So they're statically linked into it, making this thing 800 plus K in size. So it's a big blob that, that gets into your system. What's interesting about this is it, it does use an older version of OpenSSL that it has bound, bound into it, version 0.9.6, which is actually quite old because 0.9.8 is the, has been current for a long time over in the 0.9 track. Um, and it uses the libpcap um, network capture library in order to monitor the traffic on the, the victim's computer. Significantly, though, it does not require elevated privileges to run, which is unlike many of these things where it's got to be run as root or admin in order to get the the hooks that it needs in. In this case, a a non-privileged user who runs this by mistake, who's like tricked into clicking on something to to download this – is all the privilege this thing needs. No root needed. Uh, so, And it has some stealth capabilities. It disappears from the system, even though it's still running. So it won't show up uh, when, when someone looks to see what processes they've got running. And the way it works is interesting. And it gives us some clue as to what kind of machines it would be installed in. It, it monitors all incoming network traffic. 
using its PCAP interface in order to, to see what's coming in. If it sees a particular pattern of bytes in the header of a TCP packet, and for example, in the case of the TCP packet, packet it's a specific ACK number. We've talked about uh, t- the TCP protocol years gone by. The, the ACK is a 32-bit value, which essentially is it, it, it acknowledges, that's, that's the word or the short, the abbreviation ACK, it acknowledges the, the highest numbered byte that has been received from the sender so far over the TCP connection. And so it will, it will tend to jump by the number of bytes in sets of packets that it receives at a time. It doesn't respond to every single one. So it'll, and, and packets typically have, uh, uh, what, uh, 1,500 bytes or so. So it's going to be jumping uh, through this 32-byte number space. But if a specific TCP packet arrives with essentially what is, it's called you know, a magic cookie value, a key, or or a UDP packet with uh, similarly, uh, UDP doesn't have a, um, an acknowledgement, but it does have other stuff in the header. So if there's a match on either specific TCP or UDP data, this thing, uh, when it's using a raw socket in order to be able to monitor everything coming in, this thing creates a standard communication socket and opens an outbound connection to the IP address from which that that special magic packet was received and connects it to a terminal session and awaits commands. So it is a, a stealth Linux um, persistent backdoor, which, which and, and, and what this tells us is this means that it's not going to be useful on some Linux machine on an intranet or in the back room somewhere. It's going to have to be a machine like a server, which is internet-facing, such that that public packets are able to get to it unmodified. Because, for example, if, if it were behind one of these F5 boxes that is doing front-end filtering, the, the F5 box terminates the connection and then essentially working like a proxy and opens another connection. So that's a, that's a perfect example of, of, of something that would prevent the raw, the raw incoming data from actually reaching the server. But it's going to it, – so it has to have access to the public-facing internet and when then the bad guys know that they've – They've managed to get this. They've infiltrated some organization, uh, you know, co- a, a company, a government offices, wherever they're trying to get in. That and and that organization is it has some sort of public facing server. It could be email, for example. It could be web. It, it just doesn't really matter that much. They then, when they want to to execute whatever basically. Uh, whatever commands they 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 want to on that machine, they just they send it a a magic packet containing this data, and they'll then they will note that within a second, an incoming connection from that uh, from that that victim IP is asking to open a connection. They accept that connection, and they're looking at a command window to that machine in that organization, 
And uh, this has been found operating in the wild. So it's a, it's a zero day. Well, it's it's not itself a a vulnerability. It's and it appears to be an extension to this existing, uh, th- this ex- existing advanced persistent threat malware, which itself is about six years old. But we've only just ra- ra- run across this. Yeah, I guess you can't call and, it a zero day if it's six years old. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's a new component right. of the uh, of, of this whole plaque attack platform. Right. And you know what what we're seeing in these advanced persistent threats is they uh, they obtain a beach a a foothold or a beachhead in the in the victim network and over time you know they'll they'll browse around they'll see what's in your network and it may well be that they they get in via windows through um you know through an exploit through a phishing attack where they get an employee to go to a fraudulent website uh because it's something that they, that they've already determined the employee would want to do lure them there the employee downloads something in windows but then once they're and so that gives them their windows position but then they look around and go oh look this organization has linux servers that like like linux based web servers so then they will use their windows based uh foothold to download this Linux malware and and then install that through the intranet into the Linux server, and that gives them another uh, another access into this corporation through the public server. And it's t- it, it might be something, for example, that people are less likely to check. They may have a a, a Linux server, you know, in the closet that. That, that, that where they're not backing it up frantically, or you know, it's not it's not having antivirus stuff scanned on it the way their their Windows based um, user workstations are. So it just it gives them a, a very potentially potent um, you know additional foothold in into the organization. So our friend, uh, <laughs> whose name is so familiar to us both. Judge Richard Posner oh, with the, the, yeah, yeah. the Seventh Circuit Court. Uh, he was speaking at, uh, just recently, I think it was last Thursday, at the Georgetown Law Cybercrime Conference. And among other things, he said, it should be illegal to make phones the government cannot search. <sighs> I know. I know. Um, he said also, if the NSA wants to vacuum, what is the legal? All, what is the legal justification for that? I really like to know. I, I know if the NSA wants to vacuum all the trillions of bits of information that are crawling through the electronic worldwide networks, I think that's fine. Yeah, he why said. Not? And he went on to say, and this is the one that really got me. In fact, Cory Doctorow was like, oh, I mean, I'm sure he's had to recover. The Posner said, privacy is mainly about trying to improve your social. Okay, this is Judge Posner, 7th District, 7th Circuit Court. Privacy is mainly about trying to improve your social and business opportunities by concealing the sorts of bad activities that would cause other people not to want to deal with you. 
That's an interesting. You know, he, this guy's an intellectual, so he's thinking wow. about stuff. He has said weird things before, including that he thinks that regulation of the buying and selling of children is a bad idea. That the free market should allow. So he's known for being outspoken. Wow. But I think a well, lot of this is kind of intellectual exercise. I hope. Uh, well, yeah, maybe that maybe that was the. I mean, Corey did not take this lying down. Uh, there, there's a link here, uh, a boingboing.net link uh, in the show notes. And by the way, I'm 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 now including the link to the show notes with my communication every week to to your guys, Leo, so Good. that they Good. can put that in the podcast feed. Yeah. Um, so that everyone's able to get yeah. it more easily. So the show site, which is twit.tv slash SN, each episode should have these links. Right. Yeah. And and from now on, they will. Uh, anyway, Corey wrote, Posner conflates security with privacy. Another nonsense. He says, Corey says, your parents did something unsecret to make you. <laughs> but I'm willing to bet that Posner doesn't want his own non-secret baby-making activity <laughs> to be recorded and viewed by strangers. There you go. He Pre- might, though. Se- you don't know. Secrecy versus <laughs> privacy. He yeah. um, uh, was, the reason uh, we connected him with the Microsoft case, he was the private mediator brought in by, the uh, agreed to by both the Department of Justice and ah, Microsoft okay. at the end of that case. So okay, he was the guy who was kind of responsible for enforcing the antitrust judgment. Right. Makes sense. He's, you know, he's an interesting okay, so, fella. Yeah. I was I was sorry you were not with me last week because So was I, previ- by the way. Thanks to Mike for filling in. I really appreciate yes, it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh the previous day, uh you and uh Sarah had a great time uh talking about one of the things you and I have near and dear to our heart, which is Oddworld. Ah, you you love Oddworld too? Yes, yes. You don't um, play video games anymore, do you? The actually no, and I I really even didn't th- didn't then, but that special that special series was so amazing that my company knew that pretty much once a year when a new Abe or a Munch title would come out, I'd be gone for a couple of weeks. They just, that's like, okay, well, yep. we'll see Steve when he's done. Because, Love them. Love them. Oh, my goodness. And so, uh, and I, I listened to you talking about how you and Henry used to play yeah. it. And, and, I, and I did last week, even though Mike was like, huh, what? Odd, odd, what? odd world? It's like, Abe's okay. Odyssey? What are you talking about? Mike I, I, Mike, I was planning to have Leo, but uh, <laughs> I'll just wing it without you. But uh, uh, so, yeah. Um, so, what I've learned is that what they've done is there is a new remake of the original 2.5D scroller mm-hmm. called New and Tasty. Oh. New, new and Tasty, and this, this is thanks to you and Sarah talking about it, because I was just curious, and I went back to Oddworld Inhabitants, where I hadn't been for years, because, as, as, and I completely agree with you, you know, trying to play um, uh, Stranger's Wrath on a pad without really good controls would be, you know, just difficult. I, I guess, you know, kids do it somehow. But um, anyway, I, just, I, I won't drag all our listeners through it all again because I discussed it at length last week. But I did want to mention to you, since you're a fellow uh, Abe 
lover that new and tasty is out on the PS4 with the other platforms coming soon. Yeah. Um, so that they will be uh, uh, making it available across I think the board. The thing we liked about this, certainly I liked about it, was it was just different. And so many video well, games are the same. That's well, something it that's was unique. Not- yeah, not only different but clever. Yeah, I mean funny. to have yeah. to for for Abe who is a floor polisher to be working at Rupture Farms. <laughs> <laughs> There's a sense you of know? humor, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, there really was. Yeah, yeah. you know, you know, and now yeah, I might buy a PlayStation just... Four just to play this. Although they say they're coming out on other platforms soon too. Yes, it will be out on yeah. all the various yeah. platforms. Yeah. So, so the re- the occasion for this was the uh, Stranger's Wrath was reissued. For uh, on the iPad, and it, it looks yeah. the same. It looks like the same it, game. I think it is. And Stranger's Wrath. Um, I explained last week that the, the history of this is that that uh, Lauren Lanning and his girlfriend Sherry can't remember her last name. Um, she happened to be like waiting for him to get home or something, hanging out in his living room, and on the coffee table, she discovered a manuscript for a movie. Of this, that is, with Abe and Rupture Farms and all this, and that Lauren had just been sort of playing with, and so she reads through it while she's waiting for him to get home, and then she's she's like, when he walks in the door, she's like, oh my god, and and she said, you know what this is, and he said, uh, yeah, manuscript. I was sort of toying with, <laughs> yeah. and she says, no, this is our video game. Uh. Because they had never, they they were they're in San Luis Obispo. They were doing special effects and and creative stuff, sort of as, as as a satellite of Hollywood, you know, as a producer of that stuff, wanting to develop some property of their own, and so that launched them into the, the, this concept. Launched them into video games, and they didn't want to do a first person shooter. They didn't want you know people dying and blood splattering and all that. And so, you know, I mean, the worst that happens with Abe is that really evil creatures that you have no sympathy for whatsoever, you know, get ground up. You know, it's, but, you know, it's somewhat similar to the sense of humor of, of Hitchhiker's Guide. And maybe that's why we like yes. it. It's kind of a clever yeah. Uh, twist. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I did recommend it. I, I commended it to our to our listeners. If you've got kids, um, in, in fact, one of the things that Stranger's Wrath represented, I was sort of sad to see that they didn't maintain. They were originally going to do a quintology, and Stranger's Wrath was sort of them succumbing yeah. to the first-person shooter pressure. Right. Because – and so they didn't shoot bombs – but they shot little furry creatures that were all teeth, you know. And so you'd like shoot it behind a wall, and it would grab onto someone's butt, and they'd come, you know, running out from behind the wall, and then it would, you know, take it, uh, take them down. Yep. So yep. anyway, yep. fun stuff. Um, I did get I saw as I was going through uh, my stuff this morning a question uh, from a Marcus Summer in Germany uh, who asked a question I see often that I have answered before, but I just wanted to, since it's still being asked. Um, he, he said, Dear Steve, I've been a Security Now listener for about six months, but I never bought a copy of Spinrite since I thought it to be a pure recovery tool. Oh, and that's why. He, he had, probably hadn't heard it before because uh, he's only been listening for six months. He said, however, you recently mentioned that it is in fact a preventative maintenance tool, not just recovery. So I was thinking about getting a copy. But there's a problem. Due to privacy concerns, 
to which, unfortunately, Posner is not sympathetic. I'm using full disk encryption, TrueCrypt, on all of my hard drives. Since this will effectively prevent SpinWrite from seeing the data structure on the hard disk drive, I assume it will not work on my hard drives. Will I need to always decrypt the hard drive, then run SpinWrite on it, then re-encrypt it again? Or is there a way to work around this annoyance? <laughs> or might there be one in the next version of SpinWrite, blah, blah, blah. You Love are clearly, clearly new to this podcast, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> Love the podcast, and I'm already waiting for the next part of how the Internet works. So, Marcus, good news. Run it absolutely as it is. Um, you, you have a valid hard disk, uh, regular partitions. They, are, they contain noise. But SpinWrite doesn't care. The drive doesn't care what noise it's reading, and neither does SpinWrite. It's all about helping and, ver and assuring that the drive will be able to read the noise or data, whatever it's there, that's there in the sectors. So, yes, by all means, it runs with no problem on fully encrypted, full disk encrypted drives. Indeed it do. Let's take a break. We come back with lots more to talk about, including the expensive lesson. I just said I might buy a Sony PlayStation 4 just to play, uh, but maybe not. <laughs> they need, they, they're going to need the money. Yeah, I think I'm going to stay away from Sony kind of in general oh, if I amen. can. Our show today brought to you by, you know, if, if just somebody at Sony was listening to this show over the last 10 years, yeah. they wouldn't have had this issue. This, I just, it's hard to believe. Our show today brought to you by IT Pro TV. Another place <laughs> Sony's IT guys probably never heard of. It's a great way to improve your IT skills and, yes, your security skills, too. Created by uh, Tim and Don. The guys were big fans of uh, the screensavers and then of Twit, and they got inspired. They'd been teaching IT uh, for some time, and they said, you know, what if we did kind of with IT, what Leo's doing uh, on Twit. And they have now got 30 hours of programming every week. In fact, you can go right now uh, to itpro.tv slash security now. I think they're live even as we speak. They're live all the time. You they, you can see when, you're, when they are live that they uh, are in the chat, just like we are. Um, the, it is an amazing deal. Now, they're is uh, a lot of free stuff you can consume over there if you want to get a sense. Do visit the course library. So there's there's some free there's a free tour and stuff there, but you can also see the range of things they cover. Apple, Microsoft, Cisco, A+, CCNA, Security+, MCSA, CISSP, Linux+. They've got these uh, new ISC security certs, SSCP and CISSP, really important to know this. And if you want to be more valuable at your job, getting these certs is so awesome. Or if you want to get a job in IT, this is so much, in my opinion, I mean, I guess everybody has different studies, study, you know, types. In my opinion, the easiest way to learn, much easier than a book or going to a, a school, it's interactive. They've got a virtual machine sandbox lab environment that you can go to in any HTML5 browser on any platform, start up an instance of a Windows server, start some clients, Mess it up, break it, play with it, learn. One low monthly subscription of price covers all the daily updates, all the new features, all the new videos, the lab, and even measure up practice exams worth $79. And they make it easy because they're geeks. 
to cancel to. There's no hassle, easy cancellation. So you're never locked in here. What does all this cost? Well, it's you know it's about the cost of a study guide, much cheaper than going to an IT boot camp. We're talking $57 a month or buy a year for $570. There's a reason to buy a year, by the way, because then you can download, if you're an annual subscriber, all the episodes DRM-free. You can get uh, get them on your tablet, watch them in an airplane. You can get MP3s if you want to listen. There's also corporate and group pricing as well. Companies like HP, UCSD, Penn State, and Stanford, as well as groups that support our military, all use IT Pro TV. It is a great solution. I'm going to save you even more. They are fans of Twit, and they kind of, I think they might feel a little guilty that they're, they're doing, they have the same microphone, same cameras. They use a tricat. They do. If you watch the on-air presentation, they look just like us. And you know what? They sh- Tim and Don, you shouldn't feel guilty. I'm not only flattered, I'm thrilled. This is a really, and in some ways they're better. Look, they've got a live uh, SMS for live shows. You'll get a text message when a live show starts. We want to do that. They're way ahead of us. So here's the, uh, here's the benefit to you because you're a Security Now listener. Go to itpro.tv slash security now. And uh, use the offer code SN30, SN30, and you will save 30% off, and not just for the first month or year, but forever, for the lifetime of your account. So now we're down to $40 a month. That's less than a book. $3.99 for the entire year. And once you reach your 13th month, they're kind of celebrating their anniversary with uh, with security now. They're going to reduce your subscription rate even further, bringing your cost down to $24.95 a month. Two forty nine for the entire year. That is a really good deal. ITPro ITPRO TV slash security now. And don't forget SN thirty. That way you could try it free for seven days and get thirty percent off. Happy anniversary, ITPro TV. We love you guys, Tim and Don, and we love what you've done to make it easy for everybody to become an IT pro. ITPro TV. ITPro.tv slash security now. SN30 is the offer code. All right. Back to okay, work, so Steve. Okay, b- so briefly, um, just to – this ran across my Twitter feed last week, and I thought, ooh, that's going to change a few things. Um, we talked extensively one year ago. It was uh, November through December – that we that Target suffered that major breach. Boy, it's been a year, Leo. Time is really Ugh, flying. And what a cruddy year it's been. <laughs> breach <laughs> after breach. Ah, it's been a busy one. So uh, to refresh, 40 million Target customer credit cards were compromised, meaning that 40 million of them had to report, you know, to their credit card company or their credit card company informed them, you know, your card may, your card may be vulnerable. We're going to replace it, um, which is really expensive. The, it's, uh, I think I saw the number $800 million, maybe it was $400 million. There's a lot of money that th- that breach was um, believed to cost the, the credit card companies. And in addition, as many of 100, as 110 million people may have had their personal information, such as email addresses and phone numbers, stolen. Well, not surprisingly, that resulted in a landslide of lawsuits uh, filed against Target. And at the time, you know, there was some concern that Target should have known. And therein lies the reason why they're probably in trouble, because 
uh, a strong case can be made that Target was negligent in ignoring warnings that they were receiving. <coughs> Excuse me. Of all of that law of the landslide of lawsuits, they were consolidated into just two: one lawsuit for consumers, one lawsuit for all for all the banks that. So they all got together and said, okay, we're going to consolidate our complaint into a single suit. Target's lawyer argued, as they always have before and as all other retailers always had, that um, uh, they're under no contractual obligation and that they have no obligation to the bank specifically because a third-party firm handles all of their credit and debit card payments. And so the, the Target attorney asked for the suit to be dismissed. So the big news is a St. Paul, Minnesota judge, uh, and I saw his name here somewhere, oh, Paul Magnuson, uh, he ruled uh, that um, that Target's uh, Target's behavior played a key role in, in allowing the harm to occur. Um, He said, imposing a duty on Target in this case will aid Minnesota's policy of punishing companies that do not secure consumers' credit and debit card information, even though the third-party hackers' activities are what caused the harm. Target played a key role in allowing the harm to occur. Um, So this ruling is... um, one of the first court decisions to clarify the legal confusion between retailers and banks and who's responsible in these data breaches. Um, because in the past, as we know, banks have often been left with the financial burden of a hacking and responsible for themselves for replacing the stolen cards. Um, oh, and here's where I had the no, I knew it was in my note here. The cost of replacing stolen cards from Target's breach alone is roughly $400 million. Um, so, um, uh, I, I, in my notes, I wrote, the target ruling makes clear that banks have a right to go after merchants if they can pro- provide evidence that the merchant may have been negligent in securing its systems. And at the time of its breach last year, Target had installed a $1.6 million advanced breach detection technology from the company FireEye. Uh, We talked about it at the time. According to several people who were briefed on its internal investigation, who spoke under the condition of anonymity, the technology, this FireEye technology, did sound alarms that Target ignored until the hackers had already made off with credit card and debit card information for those 40 million customers and the personal information of 110 others. So uh, this doesn't mean, you know, that the game is over yet. This just means that the judge has said, no, nah, we're not going to let you dismiss this target. Uh, we're going to go to trial and, uh, and, and see how this proceeds. Actually, I shouldn't, we, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't vote on this because it's really between the banks and Target. But one of the reasons this stuff persists is because um, we – They're as, indemnified. Yeah, they're indemnified. We're indemnified too. Retailers indemnified. are indemnified and users are indemnified. The banks just absorb it all. I'm not in favor of the banks in any particular way. But this isn't ever going to get solved unless the people who are really responsible for the flaw have right. to fix it. 
Right. Now, I did see an interesting piece from one of the Sands Institute editors who who read this a little differently. He said, if the case is being made that because Target had knowledge and ignored it, let's hope that they don't that that the lesson that comes away is not to have knowledge. Because of course that is the right, that is right. one, one, it's exactly we we're not installing any detect we we're not installing any detection software because because you know Target got got you know hung because they knew and ignored it and you know someone could easily feel that you know acting on this is too big a burden. It is Speaking my understanding of, that uh, the new law, the new uh, chip and pin law, which goes effect in the United States in October, we're going to replace our swipe and sign cards with chip and pin um puts the onus or puts the liability on whoever had the weakest technology that's what i have remembered reading also and that's obviously something the banks got in that law right (laughs) but it doesn't that's a good way to handle it because then it encourages all the partners to have the best most secure technology and it really does solve the problem because how, how many times have we said here that the problem with security is the weakest link is what is what gets attacked. Right, right. Well, so speaking of responsibility and not taking any action, um, even before this last couple of weeks of revelations, um, how many breaches of Sony have we talked about in the past? I mean, the PlayStation has had breaches. I mean, you know, I mean, Sony has historically had really poor security. And and you you would have to then hold them even more responsible for the depth of of this catastrophe that they are now suffering. And it can only be called a catastrophe. Um, we don't know yet for sure what the origin is. That is whether you know there there are rumors that that this is North Korea because of Kim Jong Un's unhappiness with the uh, what is it by invitation is the movie which is going to be coming out. Unfortunately, the, the, interview, or, uh, the interview, the interview, the interview, yeah. um, exactly. Um, uh, but oddly, as a consequence of this, we know that the two main stars are each receiving six point five million dollars <laughs> because they have all the details of yeah. their contracts. And James Franco uh, gets six thousand uh, dollars to drive himself to work. Yeah, I like that. There is yeah, a certain least, uh, gossipy uh, element to all of this. Oh, and I don't that's know if we what should makes it so. It. That's what makes it so juicy. Oh, yeah, we have to, Leo. So. Um, uh, <laughs> So and and Lizzie Kaplan, I was a little disappointed. She's only getting a hundred thousand dollars for her part. What but, a know, show! I know. No, for the movie. Oh, in the movie. Yeah. Oh, she should get as much money as 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 Sony has. I well, yeah. Now we know exactly what that is too. A hundred thousand. I know. She's a super. Yeah, well, she obviously did the deal before Masters of Sex. Probably did. Yeah. 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 And boy, she's. I, I mean, you and I both like. I hope her she's lot. getting a lot of money for Masters of Sex. I bet she is. And and what and from now on, th- she's going to make plenty of money. Season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, the question is, it, it, what is Korea's involvement in this? That's the interesting. Well, and, and yes, we don't there, know. Okay, do so the, so one of the reasons I didn't talk about it last week, at, or the week before, is that first of all, this is going to be providing juice 
for a year. I mean, the, 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 the problem is the bad guys are having a ball trickling this out. And they've got so much content to disclose that there's no hurry. And I wanted to get a sense for it, too. So one of the things we have established is that a group whose initials are GOP, who goes by the Guardians of Peace, are clearly the source. We don't know much about them. We know that their English is not great. Um, At one point, too, when they were disclosing something to the press, they said... Um, we've got great damage by Sony Pictures. The compensation for it, monetary compensation we want. Actually, they, they sound like Yoda. Uh, monetary pay the dam- compensation we want. <laughs> <laughs> pay the damage or Sony Pictures will be bombarded as a whole. You know us very well. We never wait long. You'd better behave wisely <laughs> from God's uh, apostles, A P S T L S. So, and and similar messages like that in you know broken English and with words. There, there was also something that tried to, it apparently pretended to be actually posted in Korean, but it didn't. It looked like a machine translation was used to get it because actual Korean speakers said no. The words are all yeah. like you know Yodaized. So, okay, so here's to, to say that it's bad, I think misses the point. So I want to quickly just sort of scan through the the contents of the data that has befallen the public from Sony's caverns so far because it it gives it's important, I think. As I was going through this, I was thinking, "Oh my god. Oh my god." I mean, cuz it just I mean, this actually did happen. So, on November 25th was the and and we now know that this so that some small set of of Sony's executives two or three days before this received an a an extortion email saying pay up or we're going to disclose uh, a lot of information and th- they ignored the email no no response came back to uh the guardians of peace so November 25th, via a paste bin link, um, torrent files were hosted on four sites in 26 parts as 25 one gigabyte files. And then the sixth one was the, you know, the, the, the fragment was 894 megs. Um, uh, they were also uploaded to file sharing giants, uh, Mega and Rapid Gator. But the managers of those sites pulled them down. Those files contained information on 4,000 past and present Sony employees. Um, And following this, a brief email dialogue um, that risk-based security, one of the many researchers following this, had with the GOP, the Guardians of Peace, stated that the, the, the GOP stated that they had over 12 terabytes of data obtained from Sony's servers and workstations. Um, The next day, on the 26th, torrent links were published to torrent trackers containing the unreleased movies. Uh, Fury, which actually has now been released, but then three other ones, 
Annie due for release on the 19th of December, Mr. Turner due for release on the 19th of December, and To Write Love on Her Arms, the, the title of a movie due for release on March 15th of, I'm sorry, of March of 2015. Um, and based on several torrent tracking sites, those three movies have been downloaded over 100,000 times. So they are loose on the Internet. Monday before last, on December 1st, NBC News reported that the FBI was investigating the breach. Um, also, the FBI sent out a flash alert to a, no- a few days after that to a number of other high-profile companies, basically warning them to, like, watch their networks closely um, one of the things we do know about the malware, and I'll, I'll talk about it in, a, in more detail in a second, is that um, that it is able to jump through Windows shares from, from one machine to another through an intranet. And, and this clearly helps to explain the depth of, of what was lost uh, uh, inside of Sony. So didn't we still didn't don't? All, isn't I know, I'm, you know? There's been so many stories about this, but I also saw that they thought it might have been an inside job because uh, there were Sony logins to certain servers and so forth, so that the, maybe they were able to get that malware even deeper than they would have been with a spear phishing attack because they had some help from the inside. Yeah, I, I'm again. It, w- w- all we can do at this point is speculate. Right. FBI is my... not saying anything. My sense is that this was ongoing for some time. Um, I know that, for example, the malware was written for Sony. Uh. That is, in the malware were the names of 50 different Sony servers. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it knew, you know, it knew what to look for. On the other hand, once you get in... If you can stay stealthed, you can poke around within a network. And, you know, clearly, in order for there to be this much data, 12 terabytes. The other thing, Leo, that just cracks me up, and I've got this later on. I was going to talk about it. But Sony's own servers are, are, um, are, are are, are, are providing the seeds for the torrents of their own data. So, so, so BitTorrent clients have been loaded on Sony servers. Then they're they're offering the torrents wow. from Sony's own servers. Oh, that's t- that's insult to injury. <laughs> Holy cow! So, December first, another twenty four point eight seven gig of data was leaked. Now, get a load of these numbers: thirty three thousand eight hundred and eighty files in. 4,864 folders Hmm. containing, just scanning through the data, 47,426 unique names with social security numbers. Hmm. 15,232 social security numbers belonged to current or former Sony employees. 3,253 social security numbers appearing more than 100 times throughout the files. Um, and for and, and just among all this data, uh, uh, an example of employee data that was found is one file was in a is it was in a directory structure slash HR slash benefits slash 
Myo, M-A-Y-O, or Mayo Health, slash Mayo Xerox assessment feed containing 402 social security numbers, internal email addresses, plain text passwords, and employee names. So all of this confidential internal employee number and an additional 3,000 or more social security numbers, names, contact details, phone numbers, dates of birth, email addresses, employee benefits, workers' compensation details, and retirement and termination plans, employees' previous work histories, executive salaries, medical plans, dental plans, their gender, their employee IDs, sales reports, copies of passport information, and receipts for travel. It's just... It's just, oh, and um, account information to order custom jewelry from Tiffany and company via email. <laughs> that was on, that was Monday before last. Let's take last a, I want to take a little break before, because this is good. Okay. There's more. There's more. Um, and I, I'm curious what you think. I mean, one of the uh, things that the folks at uh, Fusion.net came up with is their uh, former CIO, in an inter- or no, their f- former security guy, I think, in an interview with CIO Magazine a couple of years ago saying, you know, far bet, why, you know, security is not that important. Yep. It, it we're we're going to factor that. Let's we're talk about that. that in. Okay, I want to yep. talk about that. But first, yep. uh, let's, if, you, if you want security, you're in the right place. That's all we talk about on this show with well, a few little sci-fi uh, detours, things like that. And we also, our sponsors even, are all about security. Companies like ProXPN. ProXPN is all about protecting you when you're on an open Wi-Fi access spot or at a hotel using the hotel's network. You know, you, I think we forget sometimes when you're using uh, the Internet, even if it's Ethernet at a hotel, you're on a massive network. It's always obvious to me on a Mac because I'll see their... Everybody's music shares and file shares. And, and, you know, you can, it's just incredible. That means the traffic you're sending out of your computer is visible, not only along the public internet, but uh, right there in the hotel or in the coffee shop. And of course, let's not forget ISPs. We just saw the record companies sue uh, Cox, a major cable company, saying you're not being aggressive enough in pursuing piracy on your network. ISPs are keeping an eye on what you're doing too. That's why you need ProXPN. ProXPN is a global virtual private network. Works with almost any internet connection, creating a secure encrypted tunnel through which all your online data passes back and forth. Now, that's great because that means that the prox- the people in proximity to you and the open access spot or at the hotel or your internet service provider see nothing but encrypted traffic. But there's an advi- another advantage. You can, you can hide your physical location. So geographic restrictions no longer apply. And this is why using ProXPN over, say, providing your own VPN service is great because they have servers in Dallas and Seattle and Los Angeles and New York City, but also in London and Amsterdam and Singapore. So that means you can emerge on the Internet in the U.K., in Asia, in the U.S., and, and elsewhere. ProXPN software for Windows or Mac offers advanced controls. You could select ports, connect at startup, even select which programs should be shut down immediately if your anonymous connection is ever interrupted. Why would you want to do that? I don't know. ProXPN has uh, apps, too, for uh, the mobile apps for iOS and Android, meaning you don't have to, you're not stuck with PPTP on those platforms. You can use their open VPN servers 
on your mobile device for added security. They do offer PPTP for devices that don't support OpenVN VPN. Read all about it at uh, proxpn.com slash twit. proxpn.com slash twit. When you use our offer code SN50, you'll, f you'll receive 50% off the monthly price when you sign up for a year. Half off? That's less than five bucks a month when you sign up for a year, and it's good forever for the lifetime of your account. And by the way, you, you may say, well, there's a free trial, uh, a free uh, version as well as a premium version. I wanted to try that. Try the premium version. It's it. You can do it for seven days. Cancel any time in the first seven days, you'll get a full refund. So you can see what the premium version would be like. Go to proxpn.com slash twit. SN50, that's the offer code. ProXPN accepts payment through Visa, PayPal, and Bitcoin as well. ProXPN.com slash twit and use the code SN50 at checkout. Protect yourself online with ProXPN. Steve okay, Gibson. so I don't, want, I don't mean to belabor this, but some of these, I mean, our listeners will appreciate the horror of the fact that all of the security certificates for the servers at Sony, the file containing the security certificates, is now been escaped to the public. Um, on last Wednesday was a, a bigger blob. One, oh no, I'm sorry, smaller because we're talking gigabytes. One point eight gig. Oh, is that of, all? <laughs> <laughs> the the plain text credential, the login credentials, <clears throat> about 500 of them for all of Sony's servers and internal machines, uh, IP addresses and data with the security certificates, the users and services uh, that those certificates are tied to. Um, 121 FTP plain text credentials, including the main Sony Pictures FTP server login, um, a, a, just a huge number of password files, which appear to be individual files, personal files that Sony employees had on their own workstations, which they named passwords, where they managed their own lists of passwords. So it's not clear whether the malware attacked the backups of their workstations, which seems certainly possible. That is, all of this distributed workstation data is part of what was lost. Pretty much it looks like everything was lost. So it may have been the workstations were being backed up to the servers and the servers were sucked dry. But we also know that malware did get out onto the individual workstations because many of them had that weird skeleton screensaver that came up and scared everybody um, a couple of weeks ago. And then there was also some some drive wiping uh, that, that was occurring. Data was removed and then the drives were wiped uh, behind them. Um, and I'm just going to scan through here for some other tidbits. Oh, in... Um, on 5th, last Friday, uh, 100 gig of compressed data, which was titled the financial data of Sony Pictures. Uh, 22 <laughs> individual files, uh, making up three larger files, oh, containing a set of newly released data. So in file one, 30,916 individual files in just shy of 3,000 folders making up 16.4 gig of compressed data. Comprising That's a lot of compressed data. Bank statements, 
bank account information, including wire transfer SWIFT codes, the financial year reports, financial year forecasts, budget reports, overhead reports, receipt and transaction account statements of computer hardware, vehicles, car accessories going back to 98, internal information for Sony Pictures releasing international portal, screenshots, walkthroughs, and other usage information. File 2 had 89,800 files in more than 10,000 folders, 88.6 gigs compressed, had accounting information in, uh, uh, in the format of the Trintech Inc. software, and then their licensing, their, their media, their con- Sony's content licensing contracts with Access Digital, Amazon Europe, Amazon Japan, ClickPay Multimedia, Comcast, Eagle Eye, Gaia, Google, Media Vault, MGO, Microsoft, PlayStation, uh, Senna, Sony Visual Products, and too many other vendors to list. They're, they're actual licensing contracts in more than 90 files. Um, 528 payrolls for ImageWorks Canada with the full staff names, contact numbers, and residential addresses. I mean, the actual data, all of this stuff has now been posted publicly on the Internet into torrents and in downloading sites. Um, and uh, files of federal income tax returns, too, too numerous to count. And then the third of these three files on just last Friday was hundred in, in, in another archive, 113,000 files in almost 40,000 folders containing incident reports of, of accidents of some sort with full names, incident locations, injuries, and positions held with Sony, uh, copies of employment contracts and agreements, passports, driver's license, uh, uh, image scans, social security numbers, and signatures. And on the last one I'm finished with is yesterday's uh, drop was four archives in two large files. Uh, the first RAR was corrupted and would not unpack. It was 3.5 gig in size. We know that it was an Outlook mail spool. However, the second one did unpack. And that was titled apascal1.ost. Amy Pascal is the co-chairman of Sony Pictures oh, Entertainment. She's pissed. <laughs> she's pissed Her now. entire email spool, oh, 5,000 emails Including uh, the most recent inbox email was dated November 23rd, so of 2014. So it is completely current, and it consists of 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 emails to uh, Sony employee relations, personal invoices, personal emails, talk uh, includes talk and details about upcoming movies and current and closing business deals. So this is the private email correspondence of Sony Pictures Entertainment's co-chairman, Amy Pascal. And they're just getting started, Leo. They have 12 terabytes of this data. This, so this is, I mean, think about it. This is the, the entire internal operating data of, of Sony. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, payrolls, 
history, invoices, business plans, contracts. You know, Sylvester Stallone's social security number was like in, um, in among that stuff. You know, the, 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 the pay stubs of all the actors that they've had on their movies. I mean, everything. So we get it. Everything. So Everything. the question is a couple of questions. First of all, um, I I have to think that Sony is not the only company that this could happen to. Oh, I and completely in fact, agree. If you were targeted by sufficiently sophisticated hackers, there's probably few companies that would. I mean, is it possible to secure yourself against this kind of attack completely? The problem. The problem is a a monoculture. And a mono network, that that is to say, it, instead of being it be, instead of being organized as small satellite networks that have that inherently have some containment, it's clear that that a single a, a single attack event of some sort, some at some time in the past, allowed someone to establish. A foothold in Sony's network, but you and understand there, why it was that way. That's an e the easiest way to do business. Yes. You start siloing yes. stuff, then it's a pain in the butt. You can't find out this. You can't find out that. You can't talk to this person. It makes right. sense. You can't get email directly from and we here should to point there. Out, it is siloed in the respect that this is just Sony Pictures Entertainment. Sony is a much much larger company. This is just one division of Sony, as big as it is. It's not like yeah, all of Sony was compromised, just SPE. Right. So it's siloed a little bit. <laughs> it's just not. But what, you're not going to. I, I mean, I think about, okay, I think about our, our business here. You know, we use reasonable precautions, uh, but, you know, our data is on QuickBooks. Um, but I, I could easily see somebody getting into our internal networks. Um, yeah. And if somebody were determined enough, they probably could do it. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm trying to think of an analogy that works. And I mean, I can. The if you if you switch to the real world, if someone came in the front door, heavily armed with grenades and submachine guns, they could pretty much do? have whatever they could have whatever right. they wanted. You well, know, I'd even and, go you know, farther than that because, and this may be the real issue, until the data era. Security wasn't really – look, you lock your door, but anybody can we get have into windows. your house. We have windows. It doesn't really stop a determined attacker. It's more of a signal. And here's the barrier. Don't cross this because you'll be breaking the law. We have the law on our side. But it doesn't – It's if you're willing to break the law, a locked door is not a deterrent at all. No, and, exactly right. And so I think as we got into the digital era, that same mentality persisted. Well, we've locked our doors. It's illegal to break in. Uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we put a password on our Wi-Fi, even though it was our street address, so that we would be able to remember it. What would be the burden of true security in a business? Not merely financial. I would argue. I would argue it. You can't do it in a sufficiently large and and sprawling network where. Employees, by virtue of their jobs, have to have access. Right. And 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 we and unfortunately we are you know this is we've discussed the, the way firewall technology changed, where the original firewalls were open and they blocked bad stuff coming in. 
And it was after it was painfully clear that that was wrong, that firewalls were closed by default and then selectively opened ports that where we did want to allow traffic. The problem is we have even in the computer that you're that's in front of you and is in front of me, it is not a whitelisting computer. It is a blacklisting computer. That is to say, by default, it will run anything we ask it to. Now, there are whitelisting systems, and you can get them for your computers. The problem is they're a pain in the butt to use because you can't just download something and run it. Right. You've got to get permission from IT, and, then, and they say no. Because their job is to say no. Their job is to prevent this from happening. So, so my point is that from the, from the beginning, you know I mean, from, our, from our, uh, our mobile phones that are personal devices that people have in their pocket and they walk into their organization and they, you know, they p- plug them in to charge them to a USB connection, which is hooked into their computer. Now their phone, which who knows what's on it, has access to their to the USB port of their computer and we know from the bad USB exploits that it can do a lot of damage just from having access to a USB but you know so so convenience the the the, the real problem is that that the, I think the only way you could have security is a is to have absolute mathematical certainty level knowledge of every single component and it's impossible right. today it's impossible i mean we we you use lastpass enterprise we do all the prudent things and i think we're just so the only reason i bring that up is is to, to caution people who are mocking and laughing and 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 saying oh you see stupid sony i as stupid as sony is <laughs> as willing as i am to say that they have crap security I'm not convinced that the same exact thing couldn't happen to most uh, corporations. I, I cannot conceive of securing Sony. I, I, I couldn't secure them. I, I could not secure them. They could in have a done much better. Way. Putting a file on the desktop that says passwords.txt is a bad idea. They could have done better, but a, a determined attacker probably could get in anyway. And for example, I believe those are individual personal passwords right. files. Right. So in an organization that size, there were uh, invariably a lot of people who were like, well, first of all, the fact that they had a passwords file means they had lots of different passwords. Right. They weren't using a password manager that encrypted the data but because they weren't that sophisticated. We, but, give, you know, we give everybody but, in the uh, building here LastPass Enterprise, and I guarantee you there are some people with a file on their desktop in this building that says passwords.txt or a And they look up, they right, look up what right. the password is for, for that site. That's, I mean, so that's going to happen. I never, and, I never mentioned this, but uh, we had an engineering director some time back who posted all of our company passwords, SFTP, all the secure stuff on a public web server. On purpose? No. He just wasn't thinking. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. He's not, not he's not with us anymore. Um, 
it but that's it's, it's easy for that to happen is what i'm saying my point is it's almost probably impossible for it not to happen. You know, ivory tower guys can say, oh, yeah, you know, follow best practices. It's like, oh, yes, but have tried to implement that across a company of 45,000 actual human beings who are not robots, who who need to be able to access networks in other countries and and, you know, actually do business. The problem is these systems are just fundamentally insecure and and the only thing I can think is that if some kind of, as you said, stovepiping or compartmentalization were present so that if somebody got into, you know, I mean, so, so that there was a sense of not having all of the crown jewels, you know, on one big network in a set of interconnected servers that were able to see each other such that just getting a toehold allowed that to get pried into the crown jewels. But think of what this means. Every, I mean, the security at, at Sony within, you know, this division of Sony is, is completely screwed. I mean, Every single employee has to change every single one of their passwords, let alone every single server has to completely be rekeyed. I mean, it, it, it's just devastating. I, it's just, it's just stunning. Yeah, what the impact? The, the cleanup crew here would be just yeah, the, the, exactly yeah. The, the, to remediate this kind of disaster. And and then there's there's there, there's the reputation cost and the fact now that. Actors all know what each other makes. Ugh. You know, th th that's now in the public. We're going to be seeing this data dribbling out for the next year. And it's it's just going to be, you know, hugely damaging to, un unfortunately, hugely damaging to, to Sony. And, and how you know. Long was, uh, how, long, how long was PlayStation Live offline? Uh, several months after their attack there. I mean, this isn't the, f yeah. this isn't Sony's first time to the rodeo. No, and and that's so some people have observed that one wonders what lessons, if any, they learned. The there lesson is, is really, don't don't get attack, don't get anger, bad guys. I think it's probably the same sentiments that brought down PlayStation Network are are exhibited here. Yeah, but they you alienated know about gamers. Don't ever alienate gamers. <laughs> bad. True. Oh, believe gamers me. have skills. They have skills. Mad skills, yeah. What a, it's such an interesting story, and you know, one last philosophical question, and I think a great one from somebody in our chat room, and I can't remember his name. Somebody, sorry, I didn't give you credit for this, but he said, "How how is it different? Looking at this data that has been leaked from Sony, how is that different than looking at the naked pictures of celebrities that were released?" Yes, earlier? I had the same thought while I while I was going through this. I was thinking, you know, I mean, you you actually have to just say no you just have to say that this this is this is data that is private it is sony's property and you know no one should publish this but i mean i uh, yesterday when i was starting doing this, this research i saw one of the employment sheets for um the interview where i saw you know the major actors salaries mm -hmm. on this and mm -hmm. there it was on a website mm -hmm. so you know it is airing their dirty 
un, uh, they're, they're dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the the person in the chat room is exactly right. I mean, this is exactly the same. It it should be. Oh, and in fact, one security researcher had the FBI come knocking at his door. He was not at home. His wife was, but they. But and she was like stunned, so she didn't even remember exactly what they said. But they were very intimidating, and they and what she remembered from their conversation was illegal downloads. Mm. So what the FBI is now running around doing is trying to put their finger in the dike. They are trying to you know f- find the IP addresses of everybody who's downloading from the from the download sites and the torrents. And oh, don't pres- you know? Focus on to that get the FBI. Files back. You got more important things to do than that. That's really that's, that's the focus. Yeah, let's try to catch the people. You can't you can't put your finger in this dike. That is that is impossible. Yeah, oh, that's, that's too bad that they're doing that. So anyway, they are spending time that way. But you know, they've got a lot of agents. They have and, a lot of agents. I, plenty of things. Plenty of time. Uh, yeah. so, by the way, it was strengths in our chat room who proposed uh, that. About the, yeah. the relationship between the nude photos and the yeah. Sony data, um, yeah. and I, you know, I think there. The one lesson is to maybe um, it might be at this point bad mojo to have a little bit uh, too much Schadenfreude over this. That uh, ask yep. not for yep. whom the bell tolls, my friends, yep. because yep. it could be you next. Yeah. Wow. The only the, the only thing I mean, the only thing that I think works is is keeping things small, keeping things simple. So if you had an IT person who was truly responsible for the security of a, of a sub-network and the behavior of the employees and actually had authority, I mean, too often, I mean, IT people are complaining all the time that they get no respect. That they say we need to do this, we need to do this. We it's like well, you know what does that cost? Oh well, it's gonna. It's like okay, well, well maybe we'll get around to that one of these days. But from my standpoint, complexity. We, I, we've said this often on the podcast. Complexity is the enemy of security. And and if you've got a gazillion employees on on a common network, forget it. It's it's over before it begins. All it takes is any one of those people. I mean, it's like like the RSA, the, the the devastating attack on RSA, where one administrative assistant, and we know who she is, uh, clicked a link, opened a PDF that contained a, an Excel spreadsheet, and that the thing got into her machine, and now that the, the now the bad guys were inside the RSA network. They they stayed stealth, and they did you know, and they browsed around and found you know like watched traffic happening and they they just took their time i mean it it is horrifying to think of of something evil persistently living in your network Dude. but if it's sufficient if it's sufficiently large if the network is i just i don't know how you prevent it from happening you know, in some ways they're lucky that it, these guys went public with it they could have just sat there forever and 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 used this to their advantage uh, I mean, if you've compromised the network, uh, the the scarier prospect is that you that people didn't find out about it, and you just sat there and enjoyed. Yeah, and you know, it really was it really was stupid because they apparently. I mean, first of all, it is, does seem clear that English is not their first language, and to to send an extortion letter saying we have data, pay us or else. I mean, no one knows how much money was being asked for, and. You know, I mean, 
You would this think, could for example, also be misdirection. If you're the Korean North Korean government, then you might could be might do that. It could be there's some uh, rumor going around that it's actually a Sony inside job that it was a Sony employee who had an axe to grind. Of course, the first thing you do is cover your tracks by pretending it was some hacker group. Yeah, we just and, don't and know. Talking like and talking like Yoda. Yeah, we just don't know what the story is. No, we don't. But it's really terrifying. <laughs> well, I I think it's a wake up call. I don't know that anything can change though from it. Right. I mean, even if even in other boardrooms of other major companies, if the 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 CIOs say to their COOs or CEOs, you know, like we're almost powerless to keep this the same thing from happening yeah. i mean it's you 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 have to have access in order to function and the bad guys can trade on the same access that the good guys you that the good guys have to have right and it's it's like I, I don't know how i mean i'd like to say there's an answer but all we can really do is talk about the technology right that's our job that's what we do Yep. Every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2100 UTC. This guy here, Steve Gibson, explains it all. You'll find Steve at GRC.com. Next week, good Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, we'll have a QA. and a And uh, you can ask your questions of Steve in two ways. One at the website, GRC.com slash feedback. The other on his Twitter feed, at SGGRC. Um, that also works. Steve pays attention to that. You can go to uh, grc.com for a lot of other things, though. Of course, Spinrite, the world's finest hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. All this works freebies. great on encrypted hard drives. Yeah, it doesn't care. <laughs> it doesn't know. Nope. Uh, you can also uh, find uh, a 16-kilobit audio versions of this show. Really nicely done uh, transcriptions by Elaine Ferris, who writes it all out longhand, um, at grc.com. Now, at twit.tv slash sn, that's our uh, site, we have... Uh, MP3 audio, high-quality audio, high-quality video. You can also find the show on every podcatcher out there because it's one of the longest-running netcasts in the world. We're very happy to say. And uh, we'll continue to do it each and every week. And yep. the bad guys are making sure to give us lots of material. That's for sure. <laughs> We're never running out. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. I'll see you next time. Thanks, Leo.